0: And welcome to week 30 of the 52-week film project. We are back in the pod in White City Place in Shepherd's Bush for the second time now. Last time we were here, where were, was it November, Will? I, I think remember. it was November, yeah. It was it, it was the time
1: about week 17, 18, which was Venom, A Star Is Born. Oh, it was um, it? That a one.
0: classic episode. A classic
1: episode. Well, I've started listening to Sound Is Born. Sound Is Born. Star Is Born. <laughs> Star Is Born. Star is Born. Um, soundtrack again in pre- premonition for this. And it's great. I've, I really miss
0: listening to it. In, in premonition? Yes, you know. Do you mean preparation? I mean, I not mean not like the grave circumstances of like I'm about to be haunted <laughs> by something.
1: Yeah, more. <laughs> yeah, more. Yeah, exactly.
0: No, no, I agree. I, I tell you what. In terms of um, Golden Globes being held later this evening, we're recording this on a Sunday afternoon. Yep. nice and gloomy Sunday afternoon in London. Oh, we're it's looking not out of,
1: Bad. It's got a bit blue sky. We're looking the sky. out of some
0: beautiful, beautiful circular windows at. Um, a very, very dull, very opaque sky. Yes, um, opaque. But we do have the Golden Globes this evening um, for the UK. That's about 1am till 4am. Yep. So neither of us are going to stay up that late to watch it. We cannot be bothered. But we are going we'll to be try, watching
1: it. we We're yeah. going to be
0: watching it probably tomorrow evening. Um, and we thought we would start off the episode this week, even though this will be coming out just after the awards have been announced. We figured we'd just have a stab at seeing how many of the nominations we can guess correct. Yes. Um, so we're going to lay down our thoughts for. Instead of news for this week, we thought this would be a bit more exciting because, to be honest, nothing exciting has happened in the world of film in like the last five days. I yeah, mean, it's what, been what, quite what, dull. We, like, we
1: had um, news articles like the Welcome to Jumanji
0: um, yeah. two. New cast members for Jeanette, Jumanji, yeah. Danny DeVito no yeah. one? and no. Aquafina. Yeah, oh, yeah. two we're... people we don't care about. you oh, uh, like <laughs> Danny
1: and Sunny's and <laughs> It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia.
0: Yeah. But oh, that's right, fair it. Uh, what else? Like Ellen DeGeneres. Defended Kevin Hart. I will get too was angry about it.
1: I'm just going to get too angry yeah, about yeah. it.
0: <laughs> so um, instead, let's let's do our, our Golden Globe predictions. I was going to say Oscar predictions. Getting ahead of myself in terms of the uh, awards <laughs> calendar. Um, first off, obviously, like the biggest award of the evening um, will be Best Motion Picture Drama. Um, so the nominees we've got for that this year are Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, If Beale Street Could Talk. And a star is born. A lot of bees in there. A mate. lot of bees. Hell of a lot of bees. A lot of bees. Um, what do you think is going to win it?
1: I think it's going to be a star is born. You think so? I think I, I, the amount of times a star is born is, is crops up on this Golden Globe list in the, in the nominations is frankly ridiculous. I think it's got it's had out of all the films, um, it's had maybe not the most critical hype, but most most popular critical hype, um, and I think that the Golden Globes celebrates that. Yeah. Um, as more more than so the Oscars, um, I don't know. I, ju- I just see this A Star Is Born winning this. Um, I think Bradley Cooper is a friend of the f- f- friend of the Golden Globes. Oh,
0: is he? Yeah, I think. So, so. he's in their back pocket. Well, or not in the back pocket. Bro- I'm not
1: pocket. not I'm not saying anything to incriminate me. When did we become Bradley a Bradley Cooper podcast? Well. <laughs> What have we not been a gossip comedy podcast? <laughs> yeah, right, fair um, I just think I just think it's that Bradley Cooper is the, Bradley Cooper's um, first directorial debut, and it being a Star is Born, and then the Golden Globes having so much stock in not just drama but sort of musical comedy and stuff like that. I think a Star is Born could win it.
0: Yeah, fair um, enough. I mean, this film is a Star is Born is nominated for the drama category rather than musical or comedy. Yes, um, which is interesting in its own right it because is. it does. I think it does transcend the boundary of being a musical film. Um, I would agree with. I want it to win Um, I think that Black Klansman and Bohemian Rhapsody are not going to win I don't think they're shoe-in at all I think if Beale Street could talk obviously the second uh, big film after Moonlight from Barry Jenkins I think that it um, it will do well this Oscar season but I mean it hasn't even come out here in the UK so I can't really offer any opinion on whether it really deserves it or not I would say Um, that if
1: Beale Street could talk could win the best best motion picture Oscar
0: at the Oscars um, and but I don't see it winning in the Golden Globes. See, I, But then it would be the second year after Moonlight, which it would be... Oh, maybe, be, that, yeah. That's not going to happen, is no. it? No. Um, but the, inter- the most interesting point of this category for me is I think if Black Panther wins, which it very well could. I think this is a race between A Star Is Born and Black Panther. I just wonder about the precedent that's set by that film winning in terms of the fact that we haven't had the Oscar nominations yet. Um, whether I don't know if they change that late in the game, but I just wonder what will happen. I think there'll be more ripples... In the cultural zeitgeist, as it were, if Black Panther wins, good and bad ripples. Um, I, I don't get me wrong; I like the film. I just, to be quite frank, don't think it deserves a best drama well, award. I always, I
1: always think about Black Panther that it's it's a film that's been put in this category, not because it's not a good film; it's a, it's a great film, but because of the. Whole thing about whole thing about the Oscars recently about the sort of most popular film etc. Black Panther is constantly referenced as a film that is culturally relevant and loads of people went to see, but is not being was not critically looked at when it came out. And that and I think that it's a resurgence of this. It's be it's a, I think it will be nominated for the Oscars. Yeah,
0: but I, but it's a bit of a shame because I think it doesn't really feel like it's kind of. And it's like I know it's we're in an unfair industry completely, mm-hmm. and I know what that film represents, what it stands for. But I, I think it's a shame that it almost now feels like it's been pushed into receiving a nomination. Yeah. It's been kind of forced through by popular opinion, and now I think if the Oscars don't offer it. As a best picture nominee, there's going to be a huge uproar, and I think there'll be fucking pandemonium if that film doesn't get a nomination. And I don't think that's the reason why films should get nominations in the first place. And I think
1: it'd be the worst of both worlds because if it wins, people will be like, "Oh, it's just they're just pandering to the audience." And if it doesn't win, people will be like, "Well, well, it's classic—just critics choosing like the critical lauded films over what actually people want to see." So, when it wasn't nominated, it was in quite a special place. By nominating it, it doesn't make it special anymore.
0: But then they are criticised. Aren't they for for awarding the best picture nomination at the Oscars to films that people don't particularly care about? I mean, obviously, Moonlight won. uh, Now I'm thinking about it. Moonlight won two years ago, and last year, A Shape of Water. The Shape of Water won the Guillermo del Toro film. Mm. Now, tremendous film, amazing film, didn't do very well at box office. No one really cared about it. Um, So when that film won, it was a little bit like, like, why? You know, like, what, what, what does this award stand for? And I think that's what they're trying to sort out. Yes. Not very well. And that is a
1: positive thing to sort
0: out, but I think that Black Panther, by just just nominating Black Panther,
1: is not how you solve it.
0: Mm, true. So what are the nominees for Best Motion Picture, uh, Musical or Comedy?
1: Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, we've got Crazy Rich Asians, The Favourite, Green Book, Mary Poppins Returns and Vice. Now for me... Now I we, was...
0: We've seen... The Favorite, which we're going to talk about in a bit, yep. And we've seen Mary Poppins Returns, yes. I, I, haven't, I haven't seen any of the others. I have seen Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, you have? Yes, I have. Oh, seen you have, Rich, now, I have? I have, mean.
1: yes. It was a film that we didn't review on yeah, the podcast. Thanks, thanks for all. the memo.
0: Cheers, mate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I saw it very, very like a surprise thing. I just, I, I is just, that, have is that up. a thing
0: we have now? do me, and you get jealous if we see a <laughs> film about each other. Yeah, I think that's a thing now, yeah.
1: Well, it's very odd seeing a film which we're not reviewing for the podcast. Yeah,
0: that's that's an odd thing. It feels liberating, does. Thank god, I don't have to have an opinion. I
1: might have enjoyed Crazy Rich maybe just because of that but no um, my bet to win is the favourite I think out of that list I agree I think it's the most obvious one I I love the look of Green Book I saw a trailer for it in a a cinema the other day it's kind
0: of been poo-pooed a bit recently by Viggo Mortensen's use of the N-word so have uh, you seen really? all this hoo no, like, yeah, ha? He, he used the m word in a recent interview, and it kind of, depending on who you talk to, it was either used with context or wasn't used with context. It wasn't used in a derogatory way at all. Um, it was used to make a point, but it like the, it falls on the argument of whether the word should be uttered at all. Yeah, um, Mahershala Ali actually came out in the media and said that he, he well, it defended him and defended mm. the use of it. Um, but what I think if, that's kind of that's put a bit of a dampener on this film, which is meant to be about the relationship and the changing of opinion between a racist white like driver and a black musician. Yes. So it's a bit it's a bit awkward that. Um, I Vi- mean, I just... Vice looks tremendous. Obviously, it's by Adam McKay, who did The Big Short. Yep. We're both very excited for it. Comes out on like the like the 25th of January here. So again, can't give much of an opinion. I don't think it will win over The Favourite.
1: No, I can't see it winning over The Favourite. And Mary
0: Poppins, you know, we loved it. It was delightful, but it's it was win. very generic and, yep. you know, didn't do anything new.
1: I'm happy it's got a nomination, but I'm not happy. that it, I, I just don't think it's going to win. If it yeah. does win, that is shocking
0: to me. All right, so let's go on to Best Performance by an Actress in a Motion Picture Drama. So the nominees we got for that are Lady Gaga, A Star Is Born, Nicole Kidman in Destroyer, Melissa McCarthy in Can You Ever Forgive Me, which is an interesting nomination, Mm -hmm. Rosamund Pike in A Private War, and Glenn Close in The Wife.
1: Uh, Yes. Now I've we've only seen A Star Is Born yes. of the film, so we, I can't judge the other.
0: I'm also massively, massively unfamiliar with Melissa McCarthy in Can You Ever Forgive Me and Glenn Close in The Wife. I, I've got no idea what those films are. Yeah, I'm um, vaguely
1: aware of Rosamund Pike in A Private War because that was one of the options that we could have seen yeah. at the BFI. Oh really? Um, yep, yeah. and same with Nicole Kidman and Destroyer.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that that is the, the she's like a hardened cop or something, isn't she? And yes. The, the facial transformation she went over for that film like I've seen the pictures it looks incredible mm. and it did very well it just doesn't sound like it's been a very big um release at no, least, no, at no, least, at least in Europe so I mean I would gravitate towards giving Lady Gaga the, the award I mean the Golden Globes have she's a Golden Globe winner already isn't she, she for is American indeed. Horror yeah. Story so they like her um I I think she'll walk away with that none of the other films have had anywhere near the impact of A Star is Born yeah. um, unless I'm gravely mistaken um so I, th- I think she'll get that. I think that's a no-brainer. Yeah, I think it's a no-brainer. Um
1: best performance by an actor in a motion picture drama. So with this one we have Bradley Cooper, Stars Born. Terrible photo on the Golden Globe oh website my by gosh. the way. He's got this
0: like awful like It's a duck pout. It's, it's terrible. It's not, it's terrible. It's like, it's, Will- Willem Dafoe for At Eternity's Gate is the next nominee and he looks even worse but I'll forgive him because Willem Dafoe bless him can try so hard he's still going to look dreadful
1: yeah exactly he does look haggard most times <laughs> we ever see him um, Brady Cooper's got that pose where you're like you're trying to smile when you've just got braces for the first time <laughs> that's exactly what the smile is um, anyway Lucas Hedges Boy Erased um, Rami Malik in Bohemian Rhapsody and John David Washington in Black Klansman now out of this we've seen more films than the best actress we, we've
0: seen we've seen Brad We've seen Cooper, we've seen Rami Malek in Bo Rap, and we've seen John David Washington in Black Clans. We do need
1: to watch William Dafoe at Eternity's Gate, I though. don't know what that
0: film is, what's that about?
1: Hang on, isn't that, isn't that the film that he's, am I thinking of the one from last year that William Dafoe was in?
0: Oh mate, I don't the one know. that the, the one I that's been I keep really up to critically him. lauded. Uh, oh no, you, what you mean a Florida pro, the Florida yes, project? Yes, yes, that's oh, the... mate, tremendous film, and yeah, he's brilliant in it. Oh, uh, I don't okay. know what I'll I get that confused. I don't know one. what Antediluvian Gate is, and Lucas Hedges as the youngest nominee here. I think he's only like twenty, and he was the son the oldest son in three billboards outside of Maine, Missouri oh yes he, and was. he was he was terrific yeah he was um, really good in that can't speak for Boy Erased but he is a great actor and yep. he's he's young and you know a lot of these guys have been in the game for quite a while I think it's I'm happy for Rami Malek that he's got a lot of nomination kind of like he's got a lot of respect for the Bohemian Rhapsody role but I will be bloody surprised if he wins any of his nominations I just don't think that film as a whole was good enough for him to receive the award for his own acting yeah uh, so again I think unless this William Defoe Willem Dafoe film is incredible I think it'll probably be Bradley Cooper
1: yeah I mean um, well, you also remember that Willem Dafoe's last film that we've seen him, him in was Aquaman and <laughs> just, w- Willem Dafoe was terrible in Aquaman was so bad. he was so so bad it was such a shame because he's already played the Green Goblin and he was great at that And yeah, then... he had a
0: mask on the whole time wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't fucking hard to act was it oh no with the mirror um, scene
1: the mirror scene is an amazing yeah, well,
0: right, piece of enough. cinematography um, anyway moving on yes best performance by an actress in a motion picture musical or classic comedy. You've got Emily Blunt in Mary Poppins Returns, Olivia Colman for the favourite, Elsie Fisher for 8th grade, which I haven't watched but haven't it's watched. the Bo Burnham film and everyone goes on about it. Anyone oh, I, yeah, any, yeah, yeah. anyone who's like film opinion, I tr- like I really rate um tells me to watch that film. I still yeah. haven't done it. Uh Charlize Theron for Tully, uh, which is where she's playing like the mo- the single mother, isn't it? Yes. Um and then Constance Wu for Crazy Rich Asians. I would lean towards Olivia Colman because she's already started her awards season strong. She got something the other day, some Guild of Associates Award for the favorite. I think she'll probably win it. Having said that, though, Emily Blunt, she she is tremendous she in is the Mary really Poppins good. film. Yeah, um,
1: Constance Wu, I did, I saw Crazy Rich Asians and she wasn't anything special at all. Yeah. she, I really like Crazy Rich Asians as a film, but it's more of an ensemble piece than an individual yeah. actor. so she did, she did nothing to to. Reinvent the wheel.
0: All right, so, so are we thinking Olivia Colman? The favorite? I think
1: Olivia Coleman's gonna sm- right. yeah smash it.
0: Okay, next one.
1: Oh no! I've just seen that Lin Manuel Miranda's um, nominated for Mary Poppins Returns.
0: Yeah. No, but that's but Go on. So, best performance. I'll do it. Yeah. So, Christian best performance Bale by an actor in a motion picture musical or comedy.
1: Christian Bale um, for Vice. Lin Manuel Miranda. Disgusting
0: beard he's got in this photo. That's
1: disgusting. Yeah. I love that we're commenting on this. He like looks, it's like, like, he you looks can like a see redneck. This. <laughs> he looks like a
0: redneck. Oh, it's horrible. Um,
1: Liman Manuel Miranda as Mary Poppins returns. Virgo Mortensen in Green Book. Robert Redford, Old Man and the Gun, and John C. Riley in Stan Olly. Um, now we are seeing um, John C. We are seeing Stan Olly um, next week or two weeks time.
0: It comes out on the 11th, so probably the next episode that we release will yes. be Stan and Ollie. So we'll, ha- we'll have um, more time
1: to comment, and if he does I mean, win, we'll, we'll, we'll see if it's deserved. I
0: mean, we are looking at. With Green Book, Old Man in the Gun and Stan Nolly, we're looking at three films that are critically applauded. With Mary Poppins Returns, we're seeing Lin-Manuel Miranda basically be Alexander Hamilton in another musical film. Can't win. I'm a bit exhausted by him now, um, as we discussed last week. Yep. Um, Tune in to last week's (laughs) episode. (laughs) Christian Bale um, for Vice. I I don't know how good he is. I mean, yes, congratulations, Christian Bale. You've gained £40 in three weeks for another role, like... Yeah, well, that, so I can like only a get interesting. Medal. So well also um, a weight medal. <laughs> like <laughs> those things exist. Exactly. <laughs> um, Be awarded by Arnold Schwarzenegger.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I think Christian Bale should not win the Golden Globe, but the person who did does his prosthetics of I should win something. Yeah. Because that's really impressive. Yeah, true. Um, um, but no, I don't think Are he should we, win are we that.
0: going with I mean I kind of want to go with Robert Redford for this because Redford. it's his last film, isn't it? And I think they'll make a fuss over it. So let's say Robert Redford, but Has he maybe won... expect John C. Riley to get it for Stan and knowledge. Has
1: he won the um the oh, I can't remember the name of the award now? What's the um the, the big award for like services to cinema?
0: Oh I don't know. But is it's... it an is it an Academy Award thing or is it? No, it's it... a
1: Golden Globe Award thing. They award it at the end. Like, or maybe um, Rotten... they'll give it to him then. Maybe. I don't know what it's called. Well that's the thing. If he wins an actual award and then that he probably won't win
0: the Golden Globes but um, yeah I I, I think for me it's Robert Redford. Next next category which I find really interesting nominees for this best performance by an actress in a supporting role in any motion picture you've got Amy Adams in Vice, Claire Foy in First Man, Regina King in If Beale Street Could Talk, Emma Stone for The Favourite and Rachel Vice for The Favourite. So, if you're hedging your bets, someone from The Favourite is again going to win. Yep. Who do you... F- we can talk about this in more detail in a bit, but out of like initial thoughts, Emma Stone or Rachel Vice, who was better in The Favourite? Emma Stone. Oh, I think Rachel Vice. Wow! Interesting. All right, well, we'll get into that in a bit. But I haven't seen First Man, Bill Street or Vice. Again, can't really comment. Claire Foy does look amazing from the trailers. and I know the film was well-reviewed. And she's
1: previously won Golden Globes for The Crown. Yeah. Um... I think Claire Foy apparently in First Man is one of the standouts in that film. All right, well, um, But The Favourite has been sweeping up things and Olivia
0: Colman has already won but previous do you, stuff. Do you think maybe The Favourite shoots itself in the foot th- by, by being a great film and having a really obvious leading, kind of nomination-leading actress in Olivia Colman, that maybe if Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz are like the two supporting characters that every awards team has to try and choose between, they will probably just decide to go with something else because it's quite a headache trying to decide who's better in the film. Exactly. They both have pretty much the same amount of screen time and they're both kind of the same level of importance in the film, yeah. which is quite a weird situation to be in in terms of supporting cast. I think I think it could go to Claire Foy in
1: that case. If that if that happens and there is a, because there's two nominations in this category for the favourites, I think Claire Foy will win it. Right. If, if that doesn't matter, I think that, oh, I don't know. Well, Emma Stone has previously just had all this big stuff with um, what's the film, the um, La La Land. Yes, she's, she's yeah. won all of the stuff. So. I, I I would push towards Ra- Rachel Rice winning if if it doesn't matter a Claire Foy for me anyway. I
0: bet people are going to be sitting here listening to this going "Oh, how fucking wrong you were." I know. I know.
1: which is what I quite enjoy. Us. I we'll see how wrong we are. If I should we should like people be on their this. morning
0: commute on Thursday and be like, "No, you fucking no, idiots. Like, you no. I mean, so wrong." <laughs> um
1: so next one is best performance by an actor in a supporting role in any motion picture. Um you've got Mahershala Ali for Green Book, uh, Timothy Chalamet for Beautiful Boy. Adam Driver for Black Klansman, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell for Vice. Interesting. Sam Rockwell always
0: looks like he's ready to punch someone, doesn't he? yeah like he's not a thug but he just looks like he would be a massive prick he's that and like guy he, he, he's in Seven Psychopaths he plays a massive prick so I kind of just have forever cemented it in my head that he's not a nice person he looks he's like a the guy who would well. go out
1: with a group of his, his like uni mates from like back in like back in the day and then just get ridiculously drunk and start a fight with one of them that's yeah. the, the guy Sam or maybe Rockwell throw
0: something racial out like oh yes well sorry we, Sam Rockwell you're a uh, we, 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 we you and your vices strong <laughs> um, opinions right I don't know on this one. I think Beautiful Boy is a film that I you, you've got a bit sick and tired of waiting for. I'm very excited to see still. Um, I just don't think Tony Haraway is going to done, win for it. it. Well, it hasn't done as well criti- critically as it kind of no. looks like it should have done. Um, Adam Driver, I'm sorry, he's mate. Not that good he just in Black does Clans the same from. thing every single time. Um, yeah, he's funny in Black Plans, he doesn't deserve an award for it. Yeah. Um, Kylo Ren is not for me. Yeah, don't know about Richard E. Grant. Um, I'm going to say Mahershala Ali deserves it. I would agree. Um, but again, we're talking about films we haven't seen. Um, and I think in
1: terms of, I think all the all, all the people that we've previously talked about in terms of diversity, it's mm-hmm. not a, a very diverse set of winners so far um, out of what we talked about. Yeah. And a lot of them that we talked about are quite obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that giving it to Mahershala
0: Ali might stop that. So the next one that we've got is best director of a motion picture so we've got Peter Farrelly for Green Book, Spike Lee for Black Klansman, Adam McKay for Vice, Bradley Cooper for his directorial debut on A Star Is Born (laughs) not that I care (laughs) 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 Um, and Alfonso Cuaron for Roma now I think that given the response to Roma in the last few weeks which we still haven't seen, we should probably try and review on an off week, it's the new like two and a half hour black and white Mexican epic from Cuaron. Um, I think he's probably going to get it. Yep. Um, I think he probably deserves it as well. However, there, I think there is real merit to what Bradley Cooper did with A Star Is Born. But can he win the best actor and the <sighs> best director? But yeah, I imagine if he won both. That's pretty I intense. I think he's more likely to win best actor than best director. I agree. I think I think in the nominations, I think Alfonso Cuarón with Roma
1: um, has has it's been such a critically lauded film, and a lot of people in the industry have loved Roma. Mm-hmm. Have you, I don't know if you saw Guillermo de Toro's top twelve list, and Roma was the number one. Oh no, I didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so um, yeah, so I think I think out of the industry, um, people like Alfonso F- Cuarón, uh, but it would be his second Golden Globes win because he won for Gravity as well, didn't he?
0: But that was about five years ago, right?
1: That's true. Yeah, so it has been it has been a while. So um, they, they, yeah, that might not make a difference Um, in my opinion Boots Riley should win but uh, he's not there
0: no (laughs) oh snubbed yeah Boots Riley should be in there for Sorry to Bother You but he's not Um, that's the thing why is Sorry to Bother You not in the musical or comedy did it come out
1: late or did it not submit no it's
0: been out it's been out I don't know what the submission process is but I I am a bit surprised that isn't in there the other thing that um, I've heard a little bit of hoo-ha over is how James Wan has been quite pissed off that um, Aquaman has been largely overlooked for VFX nominations I don't know in what specific I mean, awards we were, process.
1: Yeah. I mean, we reviewed Aquaman, and we were like, yes, the special effects is incredible most of the time, but some of the time it is back to that early 2006, True. let's use CGI True, and but green I think, I think the
0: situation with him comes from a position of if he spent so much of his time on a film doing VFX, it's probably more of a time thing than a like quality thing. He probably thinks we put all this effort into these special effects and we're not getting any kind of nod um but that's whether easy to VFX say with a, were good or not
1: that's easy to say with a huge budget behind you in a dc film and yeah, all that true. kind of stuff where you're getting you're, it's not just you there's a whole creative team behind mm. the vfx stuff which has had a long established relationship with dc and etc if if it's a in more independent thing and the VF, and it's amazing um vfx quality um then it, I can understand why he's more pissed fair enough um, best screenplay motion picture we have got Alfonso Cuaron um, for Roma uh, Deborah Davis and Tony McNara for the favourites Barry Jenkins if your street could talk
0: he's a handsome
1: chap Barry Jenkins oh he's got he? a lovely smile in this photo he's like, he's like oh, he's a, cool, I'm so happy cool, to be dude. here
0: yeah. um, Adam, the rest of them all look like withered and stressed like Adam McKay looks like he's had his 17th coffee by the time this photo was taken right?
1: writers mate <laughs> that's exactly what being writers is about um, Adam McKay Vice and Oh, here we go. Um World's going to get names on. This. Um Nick Vallelonga, Brian Curry and Peter Farrelly. Was
0: that right? For Green Book. For Green Book, yes. Um, I, I think that Deborah Davis and Tony McNamara could get it for the favourite. I mean, I'll talk talk more about it in a bit. God, if we have a penny, for th- every time we say we're going to talk about the favourite at some point in this episode. Um, but there is like in classic like Yorgos Lanthimos style there is not a like not an inch of fat on that film like every line is meticulously crafted and really seriously thought out there's no exposition or anything it's yep. like everything has impact and I think that for me is the measure of like a huge measure of a good screenplay and this
1: script has been workshopped from I think 1998 that's been in circulation and it's been constantly built on by different writers and etc and to create what is actually a fantastic script so yeah, uh, yeah
0: for me it's those two as well um Um, Next one is best motion picture animated. Um, I think it's been a fairly average year for animated films, Um, but we've got a tremendous year coming up next year. I think we've got,
1: I think in this category, I'll I'll, I'll,
0: I'll read them. We've got Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, Mirai, Ralph Breaks the Internet and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Now, I'm I'm just going to come out and say I think Spider-Man should win. Yeah. I think that Incredibles 2 will win. Really? Yeah. Think about how much time we were waiting for that film and how much effort Brad Bird's put into it. Yeah, I don't think it's the best film on this list. I, I definitely don't think Ralph's going to win it. I don't know what Mirai is. It looks like some Japanese film, so maybe that could come out of nowhere and win. I also think Wes Anderson has gone a step to Wes Anderson with Isle of Dogs. Oh, that was one. I, I cheated on you. I watched Isle of Dogs without you and didn't ah, tell you. you know I mean? No, that's good. Um, I didn't I, think it was very you good. Think? You didn't, didn't think, think it was, it was good. very good? No. And I'll tell you what, I've, I've got real Wes Anderson fatigue now after watching that Honest Trailer thing where, you know the YouTube videos? Yeah. <laughs> so For anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, these are the YouTube videos where they kind of dress down a film that's just come out by kind of ripping into, like, its problems, etc., and, like, make it a fake trailer for the film. And they do that for Wes Anderson, but they just they just call the instead of like picking one of his films, they call it "Every Wes Anderson Movie Ever." Yep. and it's like the amount of like similarities there are between all of his films are absolutely staggering. Yes, um, so go and watch that. Honest trailers, "Every Wes Anderson Movie Ever." But That, I that get, put me off him.
1: I get the, like the whole sort of film criticism thing of directors should be auteurs; they should have th- tropes and things that um, are are individual to them. However. It just does become a bit repetitive. It just becomes a bit formulaic, and I know what to expect from every Wes Anderson film now. I want him to do do something different. Even um, Quentin Tarantino, who's got a very specific style, changes it up fairly recent fa- fairly often. Jackie yeah. Brown, Jackie Brown, etc. Um, Inglourious was a big change of style. I mean, recently Quentin's f- failed for me, but yeah. uh, he has at least changed it up. Whereas Wes Anderson has never changed it up. Mm. Mm. Anyway, um so do you want to go on to some TV ones to finish off? Yeah, we're going yeah. to we're going to for Let, me. Let's
0: skip a few of these because we don't really I mean best original score in a motion picture, I would like Ludwig Göransson to win it for Black Panther because I think he's a young it's very I think that producing movie scores is a very like tough and very small industry yep. with a set amount of players <clears throat> Hans Zimmer. <clears throat> um which makes me think that when there's someone that young doing it um, I think they deserve as much recognition as they can possibly get. And Ludwig Goynton has come
1: from a fantastic year of doing a lot of yeah. a lot of good films. The only
0: thing I would say that is a bit of a shame it didn't receive a nomination, but I get it because, I mean, you've got the, the, the original scores that are nominated here or the people behind them. You've got A Quiet Place, Isle of Dogs, Black Panther, First Man and Mary Poppins Returns. The only one I would have liked to have seen, but I know it's a bit of a stretch to get it, is... Um, Bird Box because obviously we spoke about it last week Trent Reznor did it from Nine Inch Nails and they've won awards for their previous work on the social network and stuff like that and I think the score in that is probably the best part of the film yeah um, but yeah I mean best original song Sorry probably going to be-, gonna be Shallow from A Star Is Born yeah Star Is Born by the sounds of it is going to clear but up but let's go on to TV then what's the first TV category
1: um Hang on, I've just got. I've just gone on. Sorry to bother you, <laughs> because I'm just obsessed with that film. Best um, television series drama. We've got The Bodyguard, we've got Homecoming, we've got Killing Eve, we've got Pose, and we've got The Americans. Now, Killing Eve is interesting because Sandra Oh is hosting with Andy Samberg, um, so it'll be interesting to see if she actually wins that. Um, the bookies' favourite is Killing Eve by, a, by quite a remarkable. See, I still um, haven't watched way. it,
0: but, but then Bodyguard was a bigger show, especially in the UK.
1: I think the thing is with Killing Eve is that had a more international audience, whereas everyone with the Bodyguard was hooked in the UK.
0: Then we can't ignore that the Americans is on its fifth series and is going strong. Yeah. And Homecoming is that prime series with Julia Roberts, which I haven't watched, but has got like a tremendously high Rotten Tomatoes score. I think it's near perfect Mm. and has stayed that way. So Pose will not win it,
1: which is a it's a shame, but
0: Pose like but it's it's, out of its league. It is out of its it's league. It's out of its league. Um,
1: But the bookies, the bookies, just quickly. Killing Eve is one
0: to three. Okay. Yep. And, and what's an Bodyguard? Five to one. Five to one. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to say I would like Bodyguard to win it because it's written by Jeb Mercurio, who's the guy who's done Line of Duty. Um, he's kind of done screenwriting on Luther before, which season five just finished the other night. It was tremendous. Um, I'm a big fan of his area of BBC drama. Yeah. Um, so I want I want him to get some kind of recognition. I'd but, like it yeah, to win I in terms of... Killing Eve, Killing Eve will probably win.
1: I'd like it to win in terms of Stepping the bodyguard, stepping the boat out for BBC drama. Because yeah. if the bodyguard wins, the, the UK is going to get so much more money put into that, into BBC stuff for drama yeah. in terms of publicity and etc. I, I think it'd be, I think it'd be great if it wins. So, um, but yeah, I, th- I personally think Killing Eve's going to win.
0: So, best television series, musical or comedy. Um, you've got Barry, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, the Marvelous Mrs. Ma- yeah, that's the Marvelous it. I, Mrs. Maisel, yeah. uh, the Kaminsky Method. Kidding, which is that Jim Carrey show that came out that I've got no idea what it is, and the Good Place. Jim Carrey um, is too weird now. Yeah, no, not that, you, not that you, it's going but to but affect spends, the awards. He spends too much time trying to justify the fact that he's on the straight and narrow and not weird, and but then equally, kind of his actions aren't really speaking that. Exactly, it's, um, not, it's not like
1: he used to be, which was just crazy, funny, insane. He's now just seeming like tortured, no I'm fine. tortured, sympathetic.
0: Funny, exactly. I don't really know how to well, not it. really
1: funny anymore. It's more. It's he's taking more of a serious look sort of at satirical all this stuff. Or look
0: at his own life. Everything sure. he sure. Not sure. Um, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel is the one that seems year. to win all the awards, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen it. Um, is it about a comedian?
1: I think it's about a female comedian. in like,
0: like the I, 1920s or something. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, cool. Uh, I don't know if it will win. Um, I want The Good Place to win because I just think it's absolutely hilarious and I, I think can't it's wait a, for it to return to TV. I would
1: love, I'd love The Good Place to win as well. But I also think that um, although The Good Place is really, really good, I think it's a bit too sort of, quote-unquote, common in sort of, like it's very popular and I feel like it's going to be looked at as not as critically lauded as it actually is as a show, mm. especially now it's into season two. And it's coming. Season three is coming out. It's not yeah. like a standalone comedy se- series like Barry is or like Kidding is and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, maybe not. I, th- I think it's the marvelous is Mrs. Maisel, which we probably should watch. Yeah, we definitely considering should. it's winning so much. It won so much last year. Um, then we've got um, best television limited series or motion picture made for television. We have The Alienist. We have Assassination of Gianni Versace: American Crime stri- Crime Story. We have escape at Danamora. We have sharp objects, and we have a very English scandal. Um, I think it's going to be the assassination of Gianni Versace.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's already picked up some awards, hasn't it? I yep. think it was a great, it was a great show.
1: And um, Darren Chris won the Emmy. For
0: what was it. what was so great about that was the first the People vs. OJ Simpson series, which we watched together at uni. It was brilliant. It was really really well done. Even if Cuba Gooding Jr. didn't really look like OJ. Um, but then after that season everyone was like what are they going to do for the next American Crime Story do you remember there was all that stuff where the the two guys that write it came out and said that they were going to do the second series of American Crime Story was going to focus on a different kind of crime and it was going to be natural crime it was going to be about Hurricane Katrina I just remember thinking oh my god this is going to be fucking shit and then they turned around and did a replication of what they did the first time around which was exactly what everyone wanted just another really juicy high profile murder case Yeah. Um, yeah it was tremendous it was with, really good with imp-
1: with Hollywood actors who you you see, in, you see in films all the time but have not been like critically lauded in a while yeah like Darren Criss is sort of well known but not being critically praised um, same with Penelope Cruz yeah so I think yeah I think yeah,
0: I'll I, I, I get it I mean I haven't seen The Alienist but I haven't heard great things um, Sharp Objects is based on the Gillian Flynn book the woman who wrote Gone Girl yeah Don't know anything about it, but again, we're not a huge fan of Amy Adams on this podcast. No, Uh, very British scandal. Don't you
1: mean Dallas Bryce Bryce Howard? Oh yeah, brilliant.
0: A very English scandal. Um, I didn't know this existed, but it's got Hugh Grant and Ben Whishaw in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's do about, love a bit of Ben Whishaw. It's about
1: the, um, it's, an, it's a politician scandal about two, uh, a politician and either an aide or just a random member of the public um, okay. who, who had
0: a gay relationship. Well, I, I don't know about that. Um, and the only other one is Escape from Escape at Danamora, which I haven't ever heard of, but it says on the picture, directed by Ben Stiller. And it's <laughs> that's got, how we get
1: our news. And it's got, <laughs> just look at the it, images.
0: <laughs> it's got Paul Dano, Rosanna Arquette. It, it looks pretty. <laughs> good it, it does look from, quite good it looks quite um, good from the even picture you really can see on the Golden it. Globe I'm, I'm not gonna, it's not going to get my vote yes <laughs> um, but I, I'm interested but it looks good um Best performance by an actress in a limited series or motion picture made for television. Oh, my God, they do have fucking long titles, don't they? Yeah. Patricia Arquette. Oh, it's not Rosanna. Patricia Arquette (laughs) (laughs) for Escape at Dannemora. Connie Britton for Dirty John. Laura Dern for The Tale. Regina King for Seven Seconds. Amy Adams for Sharp Objects. I haven't watched any of these. I can't really comment. Yeah, I'm the same. Same. Right, what's the next one?
1: Um, best performance by an actor in a limited series or motion picture made for television. You've got Antonio Banderas in Genius Picasso. You've got Daniel Brühl in The, alien- uh, the Alienist. Darren Criss for The Assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story. Benedict Cumberbatch as Patrick Melrose and Hugh Grant, A Very English Scandal. All
0: right, so this is going to be Darren Criss or Benedict Cumberbatch in my opinion. Yep, I agree. Um, I haven't watched Patrick Melrose but I've been told it's really good. Um, yes. I've got the books at home. Have you? And I, I want to read them first because they're not very long. Um, so I was, I was kind of I'm, I'm banking that but I just haven't had the time yet yep. um, I think it's so nice we that we think, Hugh Grant is we nominated we think Darren Criss then
1: yes I think it's nice that Hugh Grant is nominated I think it's Darren Criss
0: okay so actress in a drama television series you've got Catriona Balfe for nice. Outlander Balfe, Balfe. Um, Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth Moss for The Handmaid's Tale I, I, I just can't stand her personally I find her so grating Like I stopped watching Mad Men because I found her so unlikable um, Sandra Oh for Killing Eve um, Julia Roberts, who looks absolutely wired on the Golden Global <laughs> yeah she ones, really does. At, dear uh, me for Homecoming and Kerry Russell for the Americans. I have watched a season of Americans. And I really enjoyed it. I know my dad's a big fan. Um, I don't know if she's done enough in this recent series to get, you know, an award. I think Elizabeth Moss, as much as I don't like her, unless Sandra Oh gets it for Killing Eve, I think she'll probably get it for The Handmaid's Tale because everyone goes on about that. I show, think I, Sand-
1: I think the Killing Eve will win either. It will either win the best television limited series or it will win um, or Sandra or she'll win for Killing for Eve I think, okay. I think it will be, be one or the other um, Julia Roberts does look wide, doesn't she <laughs> I just can't get over that um, have you heard the thing about Susan Sarandon though no Who's what's says, this? she says um, it was a question asked about what, what, what how many awards shows have you turned up too high and she said all of them apart from the Oscars so it's a well-known fact that the Golden Globes is just a piss-up or an or a excuse to smoke marijuana.
0: Well, I think it's kind of the one where they can make mistakes or they can fuck up and the world doesn't... Like, exactly. like half the world doesn't really care whereas yeah, exactly. when something happens to the Oscars people care yeah and um, Ricky Gervais
1: kind of established a sort of thing with the Golden Globes where it's taken a bit less seriously than the
0: Oscars yeah. but a, in a more comedic way than it was before like if they announced if they announced Elizabeth Moss won for The Handmaid's Tale and then as she was walking up to the stage they were like oh shit it's actually Sandra Oh people <laughs> um, would laugh rather than being an out-rawl. yeah that would be like you know, maybe a few people would tweet about right. it but it wouldn't be a, a, a news story yep um, what's the next one
1: best performance by an actor in a television series Series drama. We have Jason Bateman from Ozark.
0: Uh, <laughs> I love him. I think he's great. Stephen, Such a good
1: show. Stephen James in Homecoming. Richard Madden in The Bodyguard. Billy Porter in
0: Pose. And Matthew Reese The Americans. I think I think Jason Bateman deserves it, but he won't get it. Um, um, and I think Richard Madden will probably get it.
1: I think it's really hard to tell because I don't know for uh, all of my bodyguards. Like knowledge is wrapped up in the sort of the UK phenomenon a bit. I don't understand how it translated over to the it US. It was pretty
0: huge. I mean, did we, did we speak about the whole US um, people watching it having that problem with it? Do you know about this? No, I don't think we spoke about this. So basically, The Bodyguard is a UK-based TV series. It was produced by the BBC, but it was very quickly picked up by Netflix to go out into the uh, the US and other the continents. Atmosphere. Yeah, the rest of the world. <laughs> um, and when it got to America people found it really uncomfortable because they thought, like, a, a few idiots thought that the show was, like, it, it had, like, incestual themes. And so what they were thinking was, you know, he's got that kind of, like, thick Scottish accent and he's, he, like, to whatever name is the character, he's always like, yes, mum, yes, mum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Americans call their mums mum. Oh, God. And so they, like, people were, like, finding it really uncomfortable that there seemed to be a TV show that the British loved about a son who was, like, hired as a bodyguard for his mother and (laughs) having an intimate, like, an overly intimate relationship with her behind the scenes. Scandalous. And that lasted for the first two episodes. And then people kind of, like... Came to terms with it. But oh, about, do, people have like, to, do they have to go to Twitter to like Americans say, just by the right. way? Well, were, it was, there was outrage. Like, oh. people were ringing up Netflix US and being like, I can't believe you're willing to show something like this on our screens. Like, God hilarious. How's hilarious? So, I don't know. I don't know what will happen with this one. Um,
1: it never ends, this Golden Globe list. No, just we're almost, we're down we're almost down done. We're almost we can done. do
0: this. Um, best, best performance by an actress in a television series, musical, or comedy. You've got Alison Brie for Glow, Rachel. <laughs> Rachel, Bro- how do you say that?
1: It sounds like Brozanan. like his. Bros- hey, yeah, all right,
0: fine. You've, you've said it. <laughs> uh, Marvellous For the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, Deborah Messing for Will and Grace, Kristen Bell for The Good Place, and Candice Bergen for Murphy Brown. I'd kind of like to see Allison Brie win this for for Glow. The second, the first season of Glow was a bit average. The second season was brilliant, oh, okay. and I, I think it's one of the best kind of feminist storyline t- like fictional TV shows out there at the moment because mm. it's like it's really powerful like I like the, the Mark Maron's on it as well yay I love a bit of Mark Maron shout out shout out fellow podcaster. <laughs> uh, not quite on our level but he's getting there <laughs>
1: near enough <laughs> um, um, Deb, if Deborah Messing wins for Will and Grace I will eat my hat
0: shoot myself yeah best, best performance
1: by an actor in a television series musical or comedy uh, we have Jim Carrey in Kidding Michael Douglas in The Kaminsky Method Donald Glover in at Atlanta, Bill Hader, and Barry, Sacha Baron Cohen, who is America? Interesting. Right. He's,
0: right, because of the outrage of Who is America in America, I don't think Sasha will win this. No, nope. because like the point of the show was kind of lost on that country as a whole, which kind of proves the point of the show at the same time. Sasha Baron Cohen that has was been loved. brilliant. That was one of the best things on TV this year or this past year, 2019. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I keep forgetting that.
1: Well, Sacha Baron Cohen has a previously bad relationship with the Golden Globes because he when he was um, the dictator was happening he tipped um, ashes of um, one of his ex-wives, I think, or like in inverted commas, because he was playing the the, the dictator character um, onto Ryan Seacrest as he was interviewing him, That's so funny. and they asked him to leave. That's so funny. <laughs> so um, Sacha Baron Cohen, I don't think, is going to win um, this. I,
0: I want Donald Glover to win for Atlanta because I just it's a tremendous show. For and... me,
1: just considering how much Bill Hader is in the cultural zeitgeist of America, it's either between Donald Glover for Atlanta or Bill Hader for Barry. Okay, those are my two. Um best performance by an actress in a supporting role in a series, limited series or motion picture made for television. These it's a mouthful. I can't I can't even say them. Um Alex Bornstein, the marvellous Mrs. Maisel Petit- That's the
0: woman that's the woman that voices um Lois Griffin. Yes.
1: Um, I, I like Alex Bornstein a lot she's, she, uh, she's very funny if you watch her in interviews she's very very good um, Patricia Clarkson for Sharp ob- Objects love Patricia Clarkson um, Penelope Cruz for The Assassination of Johnny Versace Tandy Newton in Westworld and Yvonne Strafovsky in The Handmaid's Tale um,
0: I think I think Tandy Newton will get this I think Tandy Newton will get she's, this she's incredible in it. she's really really good and she's got a real penchant for giving great speeches hasn't she so I think they love it don't they yeah. she, she'll be the one that is kind of like the news headlines will be: Oh, listen to Thandi's incredible Golden Globe speech.
1: But Alex Alex Bornstein did win it last year for the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, so we have to factor that into it. Can you get it um, again? Like, oh. I mean, that's the thing. Like you say, can you get it again? But then in TV, especially, whoops, Jim Parsons won constantly for The Big Bang Theory. It was like every single award Jim Parsons seemed to win. Yeah. They got to a point where it just became a stand up joke. Um, um,
0: it's yeah. like Anton Deck winning the best UK presenting duo at the British Television Not Awards like the last year. night. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be awkward if Deck and Holly Willoughby, Holly Willoughby, Willoughby get a nomination, <laughs> yeah, I know. It. Jeez. Be terrible. Um, so the, that's I'd, the last. Well, the last one is the same again. Best performer in I don't know, TV. I'm not going to read it. <laughs> best performer uh, in TV, generally. <laughs> for uh, Ben Whishaw uh, in a very English scandal. Henry Winkler in Barry. Alan Arkin in Kaminsky Method. Kieran Culkin. Is that Macaulay Culkin's sibling? I don't know. It looks like it. I mean, he's got that skeevy look, hasn't he? (laughs) They probably are related uh, in succession. And Edgar Ramirez for Gianni Versace. I can only speak for Gianni Versace. I thought he was good. He wasn't the best part of it, Edgar Ramirez. Um, Fuck it. I I love Paddington. Ben Whishaw deserves to love this one. (laughs) And it'd, be, it'd
1: be good, to consider, good for Ben Whishaw to win something, considering he's in Mary Poppins as well as A Very English Scandal. Um, and also in that, cat, that category, I mean, I haven't seen The Succession, Barry or The Comincy Method. Um, I've seen bits of A Very English Scandal. And, well, I say bits, I've seen clips of A Very English Scandal. Um, I can't think of anyone who I know that should win the award. Mm. Um,
0: no. Oh, okay. Well. well, that's our Golden Globe nominations. I mean, if I run through it from the top, literally saying the ones we think are going to win, we think... Best um, motion picture is going to be A Star Is Born. Musical or comedy, The Favourite. Actress in a motion picture, Lady Gaga. Actor, we thought Bradley Cooper, right? Yep. Then we have actress in a musical or comedy, Olivia Coleman. <laughs> will is, like, frantically trying to write these down. Well, yeah, don't worry, mate, we, we will remember them in an hour. Like, you know, that. Sort of, no, no. Um, best actor in a motion picture, musical or comedy, we think, Robert Redford.
1: Yep.
0: Actress in a supporting role of any motion picture, Claire Foy. Actor in a supporting role in any motion picture, Mahershala Ali. Best director, Alfonso Cuarón. Best screenplay, Deborah Davis, Tony McNamara for The Favourite. Best animated film, Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse. Hopefully. Hopefully. Please don't be incredible. Um, and then if we go to TV, we thought best drama would be *Body* oh, Killing Eve.
1: Killing, Killing Eve,
0: although yeah. I'd like it to be bodyguards. Musical or comedy, The Good Place. Limited series, Assassination of Gianni Versace actress in a limited series we couldn't speak for as we hadn't seen it <laughs> actor in a limited series Darren Chris, for Gianni Versace actress in a dramatic TV series Elizabeth Moss for The Handmaid's Tale or Wired Julia Roberts <laughs> <laughs> performance by an actor in a television series we think Richard Madden for The Bodyguard but yep. I would like Jason Bateman to win um, actress in oh that's just Godzilla outside if anyone heard yeah was happening outside we're at White City Place this evening they are removing the giant Christmas baubles oh, so it's... Uh, do do bear with us if it sounds like nails on a chalkboard
1: oh it feels so sad they're removing them it just, it just it, feels we, like we are the literally end something. sat here
0: trying to stay vibrant while we're watching Christmas be taken away literally on buses yeah um, actress in a television series musical or comedy we. Will will eat his hand and I will shoot myself if it's Deborah Messing for <laughs> Grace. We want it to be Alison Brie for Glow. Uh, actor in a television series, Donald Glover for Atlanta. Thandie uh, Newton for whatever that other TV series mm. nomination is. Westworld. And, fuck it, Macaulay Culkin's younger brother for whatever he made. Is you that know, what we're doing? Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is that what we're going why not? for? Why not? Okay, right. <laughs> um, and there we have it. Golden Globe nominations four days after exactly. the awards. Well, it would be passed. interesting
1: when we do the next podcast to to look back at them and see how many we got right. We might have got everything wrong, who knows? How many? Are you? I'm pretty confident. We, I'm all right. What on we'll do? Why don't, why don't we
0: work out when we when when the Golden Globes pass? Let's work out the. Let's get mathematical, mate. Let's work out the. <laughs> let's work out the percentage we got correct. Do you want the modal average as well? I no, don't know. No, we'll just, do, we'll, just do, we'll stick with percentages. Okay. But if you had to guess now, the percentage of the awards that we've guessed correctly, what would you say? 60. All right. Because I think
1: 40% of them we've made decisions where we don't really understand the film or the place or the thing. Um, 60% of it, I think, actually, we've got it well thought out. And I think A Star Is Born takes up a lot of that, and I think that, and and The Favourite. And I think both of those we've been pretty accurate with.
0: Mm, True. Um, I'm going to say 50%. Oh, you stop being so conservative Go I don't, I don't on, I don't think we're, live a little Joe. I just, I, just, I just think, like we always are with these things, we're going to be more surprised than you think. Yeah. Um, but anyway, let's get on to the first review of the week. We have got, we were going to do it last week, but there's been so much around this and all the different things that people have been working out and fan theories, etc, etc. Um, with the latest Black Mirror instalment. Bandersnatch.
1: A a snatch. So, Jake, would you like me to give? Would you like to give a plot synopsis of the
0: whole thing? Absolutely <laughs> not. It would take a decade. Yeah. Um, this is well. We all thought about a month ago, and obviously, Will spoke about it three months ago. I remember you said there's going to be a new series of Black Mirror in December, and I said, "Fuck off, that's rubbish. We would have heard more yeah. by now." Um, and then it was leaked that there was going to be some kind of announcement on the 28th of December. And what happened was they announced that they weren't going to be releasing a new series, but they would be releasing a feature length episode. But it wasn't going to be an episode by what we normally expect from Netflix or TV in general. It was going to be an interactive movie Mm -hmm. that came out the following day. I watched it the day after I watched it on the 30th.
1: I watched it on the 30th as well.
0: Now, the idea of this is it's the traditional kind of dark undertones of a sinister kind of not far off future, um, or actually this one is set in the 1980s, um, so I'm completely wrong. Um, but the the story follows a young guy called Stefan, who's a bit of a loner. Um, his mother passed away when he was younger, yep. uh, died in a train accident, and he is working his way towards developing a video game. Now, this is back in the 80s when video games are not anything like they are now. Um, but kind of like 3D graphics are kind of just on the horizon Um, but everything's kind of been 2D arcade style stuff prior to this and Stefan is obsessed with a book called Bandersnatch which was written by a nutter called Jerome F. Davis who wrote this huge kind of choose your own adventure book like for anyone who's done this before in the past when you were a kid did you have those fighting fantasy books where it would be like you'd read a page and you're a character and it would be like um, a knight approaches do you attack him or do you run away if you attack him turn to page 32 if you run away turn to page 129
1: no but I used to play those games online because I'm sad yeah. um, those those text games where it would just be a black screen and you'd create your character and it, and it was just sort of like the green text would roll and you'd create your sort of way through and that was really really fun even though it wasn't like actually visually stimulating the options that they, they were all focused on the options and that was quite good um, yeah. but no i have never
0: read books but this is Essentially, so Stefan is wanting to create a video game version of this mammoth book that he's got where you can choose your own adventure. And it's got all these different paths and all these different kind of ways you can go. Um, and the writer eventually went insane completing this book and... It, well, killed like his he, wife he, and then he, killed himself. Or yeah, like cut, cut his wife's head off and then killed himself. Kind yeah. of the typical crazy stuff. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Stefan becomes obsessed with turning this into a video game. Um, and that is kind of where you start the game is, or the the film, or whatever you want to call it, is Stefan has got this kind of difficult relationship with his dad. He's going to see a therapist, but he's not kind of engaging with that. And he's been approached by this company, Tuckersoft, to make this game. Yeah. And That's the drop-off point. That That is the That's where you
1: start the whole thing. And then from there, you have 150 minutes of unique footage, which is divided into 250 segments, um, which then goes about, I don't know, knowledge, right? Wow, well,
0: (laughs) put that out of nowhere.
1: Um, And so most people say the average viewing time is about 90 minutes. The quickest path ends after about 40 minutes. So your whole interaction with this changes with whatever paths you choose. And and it gets introduced to you in the first segment. You see um, two options like, do you understand? Yes, no. Yeah, um, you, and then you
0: essentially like you have two options. Click up on a screen, and the film doesn't stop playing. But essentially, a timer countdown bar comes up, and you have to select with your I don't know your PlayStation controller or your TV remote. You have to select which option you want. Yeah, and then I love and that then, PlayStation controllers first. That really shows right, how but, Black Mirror we are, yeah, isn't it? But, it? but it does like. But then like, it is quite cool because it's not like you click an option and then it pauses and loads. It's like the whole thing is seamless. You choose the option and the footage keeps running. While you're trying to make the decision, the dialogue between characters or the scene is still taking place. And then it continues yeah. seamlessly based on what you choose, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but it starts off with very trivial decisions like what, kind of, like, what, what cereal you want in the morning when you, kind of, your character wakes up. Yeah, and frosties like or cream puffs. Yeah, brilliant knowledge um but then it gets obviously as the game goes on more and more intense and you make more kind of serious decisions or decisions that affect the storyline a lot more um we could talk for ages about all the different things that happen in this but obviously people that have watched it they will know more or less they had their own experience kind of going through it did you before we go into like easter eggs or kind of like fan theories because there's a real wealth of stuff do you want to just tell me what you thought of your experience playing the game and like what you liked and what you didn't like. Yep, that's that makes
1: sense. Um, so my experience of it was, I was I started with. Um, it got to a point, throughout the whole of it, where I was going through the game um, and and the show. And I was trying to navigate it in a way that I thought was interesting and was trying to make my decisions based on like, okay, I'm not going to be too invested in what the actual character's decision is going to make. I'm going to try and be a creator, if that makes sense. I'm going to try and push it in the decisions that I think will create the most interesting storyline. And what I found kind of frustrating about it is that it pushes you in directions and then it will just stop you. And then it will say, "Would you like to return to this previous bit, or would you like, to, or is that the end, or run to end credits?" And you, your instant curiosity about it is, "Okay, now I want to go back and, and see, and like, and see, and see where, where I went wrong, and see oh, I went what else wrong. could happen." And that was the thing. I felt like I was being punished for a lot of the times when I was making a decision. I felt like I'd made a decision. Oh wait, hang on. You're not you, that decision's not right. And that's kind of the overall theme with it. That's what Charlie Brooker. I think wanted to come out with it is that that there's there's a big speech in this with um, between Will Poulter and um, Theon. I can't remember his last name. It's something like Fionn Whitehead. I'm just gonna call him Theon Bandersnatch.
0: Yeah, Um, uh, yeah. Well, the main character. The main character.
1: um, Where it's talking about who is the actual creator in this game? Is it are you the creator or are, are the people playing the game the creator? And that's been that's talked about a lot through the film. But it just feels like that. They are pulling the puppet strings and you're being led in one direction and then you fail and etc. It becomes, after a while, quite frustrating. You're constantly wanting a better ending and it never works. I get that's the point, but it, for me, it doesn't make for an yeah. overall fantastic viewing experience. Yeah, I,
0: I think it is a thing. Like it, to, to make this work and to make people explore the different avenues of what can happen in this story, Charlie Brooker implemented this kind of loopback system like Will's just discussed where you could kind of go back and, and it gives you the opportunity to redo it. Eventually... After about ninety minutes, the 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 game ends. It reaches an end point that you have to finish on. Um, I think because you seemingly can't go back and explore everything that's possible in this game in one run. Yeah. Um, however, when you do look it up, you know, me and Will have looked up flowcharts and we've seen there are like, there are like ten definitive endings to this episode of black mirror and some of them are like will just said they're ones that end after about 40 minutes or an hour but you could then go back to later and others are kind of like there there seem to be three or four distinct big conclusions to this story yes um and the way you get there varies and what i found a little bit frustrating for, for me personally and this comes down to the reviewing of the episode as well is i'm a big gamer and I have always been fascinated with video games that enable you to make decisions and to change the concourse of your character's journey. Um, I can think about, you know, I've spent a lot of time playing the Telltale games. So those are like the Walking Dead games where you have to make decisions. And some of them can be quite fucking difficult, like mm-hmm. really, really hard things where you lose characters as a result that you care about and all this kind of stuff. Like they're, they're real cinematic experiences. I've also played the, the Heavy Rain game and the... Detroit Become Human game that come from Quantic Dreams, and they're video games where you maybe follow four different characters who have an interweaving story. But there's real gravity to what you do. Like if 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 you you know don't play well enough and one of the characters dies, the story carries on regardless, and it just goes in another direction. And these are games where there's about like 40 different endings. Mm-hmm. And and they're they're even bigger than this Bandersnatch episode of Black Mirror. And so what I struggled with was when I play these games, I always look to see like, what are decisions that are kind of like made to feel like they have real weight, but in actuality, when you sit there and think about them are quite trivial or lead to a set series of conclusions regardless. And what ones are ones that give you real weight and give you real impact behind the decision you're making. And what I found with Bandersnatch was for people, if this is a novel experience to people, and they're not averse to a bit of kind of like, change up and a little bit of gameplay then they're probably going to think this is incredible Mm. they're probably going to think this is groundbreaking stuff that's never been done before if you're not much of a gamer and you don't really care for this kind of thing you're probably going to dislike it because you were hoping for months you were going to get another black mirror episode and it's not a straightforward viewing experience but if you're like me and you're someone who has a fairly strong level of experience with these kinds of games before i just found the whole process a little bit underwhelming and the loop back system of kind of try it again, you did it wrong kind of thing started to grate on me because it felt it became like as you went through this game, it, it, it began to feel like a chore. And I've played more cinematic versions of this kind of thing which have the confidence to enable you to make decisions with real gravity and then that's it, you can't go back. Exactly. There's no returning from this now. And so that was that was my experience with it. I just kind of struggled with it a bit. However, I, I can't deny that it is, it's a very engaging, very interesting story. Uh, and I mean, if you haven't... I mean, I don't think we've really said anything that massively spoils what happens, no. which is good. Um, we're also sat in this room with a producer who, before we started, was saying, oh, I was really looking forward to watching it. So I was thinking, good, we better not go too deep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... One of the things that I thought was really interesting about this was, you know, there are loads of fan theories now. Um, Charlie Brooke has come out and said that there's, like, a scene that is um, written into the code that is currently, like, inaccessible, so no one can actually get into it, and we don't know whether that's something that will become available in the future, whether that's actually going to be as exciting as it sounds, who knows. Mm. Um, but also, as a, as a long-time Black Mirror fan, there was, like, a whole host of Easter eggs in this. And I thought they were so fascinating. Yeah. Like some of the best ones we've got written down here um, for all of you big like, Black Mirror nerds out there. Um, throughout the episode, Stefan is kind of haunted by this this weird hieroglyph, which is the White Bear hieroglyph from um, the White Bear episode, which is the one where the woman is kind of chased by people filming her all the way through the episode, and then you find out in the end that she's actually, it's, it's like a park where she is being punished for a horrific crime that she committed and people can come visit the park and torment her. Um, and the significance of that is the idea that both in this, in White Bear and Bandersnatch, you've got kind of a story where the protagonist has essentially had their destiny stolen, mm. um, and you, you know, you, the character is at the whim of other people. Um, with White Bear, it's the guests in the park, and with Bandersnatch, it's us as the viewer, kind of deciding what happens to Stefan. Um, You've also got like in one of the bits, there's a news article and there's a, there's a reference to the 15 million merits talent show, which is a hark back to the episode with Daniel Kalua the where they all, have episode, to cycle, yeah. they all have to cycle for their credits to get onto a dance show. Um, Another funny one is, do you remember the episode where the Prime Minister, the first episode where the Prime Minister has to have sex with the pig? Yeah. So there's a bit where there's a news, there's a bit of TV, and it says something like, there's a there's a headline that comes up and it says, former Prime Minister Michael Callow wins Celebrity Baker, <laughs> which I thought was really entertaining. Um, the most fascinating bit about this for me was that, Andersnatch snatch itself as an episode was an Easter egg in a previous Black Mirror episode. Do you know this? Uh, n- no, not at all. See, so this is cool because the episode in season three, playtest,
1: is that the one where, where the
0: spiders happen? The spiders with the the human spider faces. The guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's the one where the guy goes on like the drug trial, which turns out to be like a like a super immersive video game experience, and he's in that house, and it like all yeah. of his worst nightmares come true. So, in that episode. And there's a bit where he, the character is reading a gaming magazine which is called Edge magazine which is a real ma- real gaming magazine here in the UK and on the front cover of the one that he's reading on the episode that came out in like 2016 is like it says like preview bandersnatch so wow. they snu- they snuck this in like i'm assuming they knew they were going to do it but they snuck this in a few years ago and no one thought anything of it like awesome. it, it did not come up. So now loads of like real big Black Mirror nerds are going back through and trying to like scour episodes for anything that might possibly give a clue to the next seasons. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's it really cool. It is an enjoyable experience, but I just think I've I've experienced better versions of what it's trying to do. Mm.
1: And they do this th- these things like the like, the, like the, the name Bandersnaps originally comes from a fictional creature created by Lewis Carroll. Um, and it makes several allusions to it for example the white rabbit that um is owned by the main character um that's sort of the idea of like trying to find that lost toy mm-hmm. um is a central theme in alice in wonderland and they try and make connections like this but the problem is because there's so many narratives the these certain things these these easter eggs Sometimes you'll not see them, and you'll have to go through every single version mm. so that you so to not miss them as opposed to a normal Black mirror episode where they're littered everywhere you can see and it' and I get that that's the point of Easter eggs it's they're difficult to find, but when it's sort of related to the narrative like Band the Snatch, it kind of creates different meanings and different interpretations of where of what happens with it that are never really satisfying because you've never fully got the the complete curve that's happening yeah um. I agree with you um, what you were saying about if you should just have the confidence, to just play through it once and not having to go back. If they just if you just play through it once and then even if your episode ends after 15 minutes, you can always rewatch it. You can always try different things in that rewatch. Um, I got to a point where I was sitting on a coach watching it and I. Um, I'd got to the end and I'd kept on sort of going back to like previous bits at the end because the end happens and then they say, "Would you like to skip back to this scene where there's a couple more options?" Yeah. Just so I could fulfil all of the ones at the end. And at the end, I just had to turn it off because I was like, "I will just go in circles." And I'm getting more and more frustrated about yeah. finding the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. correct
0: or the good ending. But I think I think the thing is they could have done it in the way that your decisions are final and you have to start the whole experience again. But I think that that would have like a lot of people would have dropped off and been like, "Oh, this is frustrating. I played it for forty minutes and now I don't." what's going to happen Yeah, and if they weren't given the opportunity to sort of rewind which kind of happens quite quickly it's like speedily edited you kind of go back over what you've seen already but it's done a bit quicker um, then I think a lot of viewers wouldn't have bothered the other thing about it is do you care
1: a lot about the characters in this no and and what I mean and what is important about that is because it's a this interactive game where you're making decisions. If you're not interested in where the decision is going to lead in, for the character's sake, mm. because you don't care in the characters, then a lo- then a lot of it is th- is lost. You're not fully invested in every single tap that you make. Yeah. and a lot of it's so trivial that it means when you're when you're cr- choosing an option, um, it doesn't really feel like it's a weighty decision. And it, it cuts from very trivial to very weighty very quickly. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really have any balance between that. It's not like a build-up of from completely trivial to intense. No, it's it's quite choppy. Um,
0: yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think the only other point that I'll make before we go on, to, unless you have any more, on, before no. we go on to uh, critic quote awards is... There's again, I won't, I won't ruin it, but there's a, there's a bit in this where like Netflix have been doing this thing recently, which is you know it's a light hearted bit of fun, but I think it's going a little bit too far now, where they integrate themselves as a brand into TV shows that they they host on their site. So they did it with Big Mouth, which is one of the funniest things on Netflix at the moment, where they do a few jokes where the kids in Big Mouth reference Netflix, and there's a great one where they're sitting down on like a, a sofa, and they're talking about how like you can have more than four accounts on Netflix. So if you just pay for one subscription, then and then as he's saying that and basically implying four people can split a subscription, it goes like scene redacted by Netflix and then skips the next bit. That stuff is hilarious. It's like tongue-in-cheek and nice. But there's a bit in this where you can go down a storyline which involves Netflix and it gets very meta very quickly. And I just... Oh, I found it really cringy and I thought it was a step too far. And it took out the element of um, believability to this story for me. The fact that it came so close to home that it made you feel like it just felt a bit silly, including Netflix in it in the way they did. And I think some people will, will watch it and think, oh, that's really clever, like brilliant. But I think a lot of people will watch it and think, oh, this is a bit naff.
1: I think it's an instant gag that's the thing I think it's the thing where you where you like oh my gosh that's crazy and then you're like afterwards like actually it's not that fulfilling it doesn't yeah. linger with
0: you it's
1: a sort of cheap thrill
0: in a yeah. way um, um, but that's that I think so what did, what did you get the best description of Bandersnatch uh,
1: my best description comes from Sienna Yates of the New Zealand Herald um, she says for everything that's great about Bandersnatch it can quickly become a chore to sit through multiple resets yeah. and recaps no matter how craftily cut the montages are which I think is absolutely fair. Fair enough. assessment. I think it, I think that in it, I mean, Will Poulter I think gives a good performance. But the problem is with also with this is that you can choose to cut out characters through your th- through your choices, and so you so so some characters that you actually want to spend a lot of time on screen, or who are you looking forward to spending a lot of time on screen you accidentally sort of cut yeah. out of the narrative
0: very early. The best scenes in this, I mean, I think both of our, we were talking about this before starting, our, both of our best moments is a, a fairly long sequence where the main character and Will Porter's character take LSD together. Yes. And um, it's brilliant, but it's brilliant because Will Poulter's such a good actor. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, definitely in my playthrough, um, he kind of didn't exist in the story as quickly as he seemed to get involved in it, yes. which was strange. Um, my best description comes from Aisha Harris of the New York Times. She said, Bandersnatch falls short of the best Black Mirror episodes, but as an attempt to play around with your viewing experience, it's not a bad way to spend a couple of hours.
1: Yeah, I, I think that people should watch this and I think that they will get some satisfaction out of it. I think the problem, I, I don't think it's got as much rewatch value as they're thinking it's going to have. Do
0: I think it heralds a new form of media for Netflix to invest in? No. no. Absolutely not. Yeah. I do not want everything Netflix does to suddenly be a game. It'd yes, It would be exhausting. It would I be I can't exhausting. be bothered. I don't want to come home and watch the new season of fucking, I don't know, let's say the Renew House of Cards and you get to decide what Claire Underwood does. Yep. Fuck that. I can't be bothered. I just want to sit there and watch TV.
1: You decide if Kevin Spacey comes back or <laughs> <Yeah>. doesn't come <laughs> back. <laughs> um, no, I, I completely agree. I know I, yeah. I. The other thing about it is that... Um, I've mean, now forgot what I was about to say because I a a joke. <laughs> Net- Net- Net-
0: Netflix live broadcast the uh, Kevin Spacey Massachusetts trial tomorrow, and oh, you get to God. decide what the judge says. Oh,
1: hilarious. Um, dark news. Um, yeah, the other, I suppose the other thing about this is, does it work as a good video game? Um, and I would also say the Telltale games do it better. It yeah. works as a fine video game, but it's 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 not anything that's not been done before. It's
0: an it's it's a well it's it's a well done imitation of things that have been done better. I can't help but feel like, though, Charlie Brooker made a big thing about how he didn't want this to be gimmicky. For me, it comes off gimmicky. Mm. And I think with consultation with people that have done this kind of thing before, but better, I mean, I don't know how much consultation him and his team had, but I feel like if they'd gone to the right people, maybe this wouldn't come off as cheesy as I think it is. Yeah. Um, my most savage quote was from Daniel Dadario Dadario Daddario, Daddario. <laughs> Daddario Ooh. of Variety. And he said, Bandersnatch, as creative work and not as an experiment, falls so short of the standard Black Mirror the standard Black Mirror has set that to put it forward is to risk the credibility the series' first four seasons have earned. It's not particularly savage, but I think he has a good point. Like this shouldn't be seen as the new way that Black Mirror should move forward. But I do admire their ability to this late in the game continue to develop new ways of experiencing Yeah,
1: they're changing up the format, which I like. Um I like that this exists. I'm ne- ne- not necessarily... It, but if, if this exists as a standalone, I like it. If this exists as now the new way that Black Mirror is yeah, going to go if, into season five, six, seven... Yeah, if, the,
0: if there's going to be another interactive movie in season five, I'm not interested. Correct,
1: <laughs> yes. Uh My most savage from Maureen Ryan from, again, the New York Times. Two people from the New York Times wrote about this film.
0: What, what and one of them... Rated it, and one of them hated it.
1: Yep. interesting. Um, That's weird. Maureen Ryan said, "I found it quite possible to I found it quite possible to click through the pathways in Bandersnatch without finding any re- Let's try that again. <laughs> I find it quite possible to click through the pathways in Bandersnatch without finding a reason for any version of this story to exist. No. I know, isn't it so savage? <laughs> That's pretty brutal. Um, yeah, I I don't agree to that extent um, at all. But I also but the thing is, is that I kind of, I kind of want it to be a standalone. I kind of wanted Will Poulter to get his own standalone Black Mirror, but it's not this. Mm, yeah. It's a shame that he's. It's a shame that this is the episode that he's featured on because he's such a good actor. Yeah, I
0: desperately want to see him in Detroit. And they don't. I and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think they've ever brought an actor back to play another role in a Black Mirror episode.
1: I don't think they have.
0: No. And I think that's kind of the point. Is they meant to be standalone like anthology based so I, I think it would be surprising if we see Will Porter in another episode now mm. which I agree with you I think is a shame he's if so this good is his, if this is his one outing in Black Mirror I think it's it's been wasted yeah um but then equally i can't really think of anyone that would do the role that he does in this so that's true i think he's he's really well cast <laughs> yeah. for that role um so what would you rate this out of 10
1: um i'd rate it a 6.5 right. because i think that i commend the idea although i didn't fully get on board with it the the actual the actual story is not a bad story it's fine and watchable it's just not it just doesn't go to the places that i want it to go um and i do like the acting
0: in it it also didn't get dark enough for me none of the endings even the most grave endings that i've you know i've read up on all of them none of them really get so horrible i mean there have been moments where i've watched a black mirror episode in the past and like wanted wanted to scream at the tv by the end because i'm so angry or so frustrated by what's happened to a character mm-hmm. this does not do that in any of the any of the endings for me
1: yeah was is it Shut Up and Dance? The one that was the oh, what, that that's one?
0: Oh, the pedo the, Kid one. Yeah, that was painful. It's awful. It's absolutely um, awful. That's so intense. And it doesn't have.
1: Like, for me, it doesn't have the emotion, emotional top power. It does. No. And I think it, I think it doesn't
0: have the emotional pull. snatch doesn't have the emotional pull because you you're, you spend so much time panicking about when the next decision's going to be and what you're going to do and you controlling it that you don't really... Well, I didn't truly immerse myself in the characters in the story. Yeah. I was just so antsy to find out what was going to happen next or what I would have to do that I wasn't really listening to what was happening. Yeah. And I think um, was I'd give it a 5.5. 5.5. I think for the same reasons as you, but I just think personally I've spent enough time with this genre um, to feel like it's not a good enough attempt. Fair enough. That, that makes sense. That's that. That's that. Right. Let's go on to the favourite Which has been my favourite film of 2019 so far, Will. (laughs) (laughs) We have not reviewed many, but it is the favourite.
1: Yes, this film... I think I've been talking about constantly for a while I've been wanting to see it we've
0: wanted to see this the tr- tr- trailer months. came out
1: and it just was amazing well it also got launched in America so uh, much earlier yeah. than it came out in the UK which and pisses was, me off because yeah.
0: it's an English film exactly it's and so an Eng- frustrating it's a, so it's a film 4 production
1: Exa- I love film 4 productions a- anything film
0: 4 does <laughs> turns to gold Yeah. Um, it, yeah, th- this film is tremendous. It's got a tremendous cast. We've been waiting for it forever. Me and you are both huge fans of Yorgos Lamphibos's, like original work. Yeah. Um, I've seen Dogtooth, which was one of his films from about 2009, which I think is still terrific. We've both watched The Lobster together yeah. more than once um, with Colin Farrell and Olivia Colman and a few others. Rachel um, Weisz and that as well. Rachel Vice is true. Yeah, Yorgos, he, he's developed a... Um, He's got a very unique style. It's very kind of offbeat, austere humour, very satirical. A lot of the themes that he's kind of approached in previous films are present in the favourite. But he also, I think every time he does a film, he gets a bit more refined, but he also gets a little bit better at marketing his films to a wider audience. Mm -hmm. So this is, without a doubt, the biggest commercial film he's ever done. Um, It took a It's taken a boatload at box office already. It's been doing really well. It was packed when I went and saw it the other night Mm -hmm. on a Thursday. Um, Not that a Thursday evening isn't a good time to go see a film. (laughs) Um, But he also, like, we were talking about the script earlier when we were talking about the Golden Globe nominations and how there's not an inch of crap in this script at all. It's all really, really well thought out. And I also think the same of his casting. So he clearly has developed relationships with several key actors including Olivia Colman and Rachel Weiss and Nicholas Holt who have worked with him previously they must have a very good working relationship and his films are getting better and better reviews because he's they're refining I think their their working relationship each time yep. he's found people that he really knows and trusts and got rid of people he doesn't particularly care about but also does some kind of he makes some creative risks along the way that come with being a more well known actor for example casting Emma Stone yes um this isn't as creepy and weird as I was expecting it to be. Yeah, you get, you get an idea from the trailer that this film is going to be bizarre and crazy. And, and and more wacky and humorous than it actually is. Exactly. This film is very funny, and it's it's the exact kind of humor as I, I was expecting it to be, but it's also incredibly serious, and I was geared up for a very strange, very offbeat, dark comedy. Laugh and, out loud and yeah. just keep on laughing. And, and, yes, there are moments of that in this, but I... I mean... It, even like until I was driving to the cinema with my dad to go and watch this, I did not realise that this was about Queen Anne, that is who's played by Olivia Colman, um, and kind of like her relationship in court and her struggles as, as a royal. I had it in my head when I watched the trailers that this was a film set in um, the 1800s about um, three women of high stature who are kind of courting men and kind of living in their kind of wealthy bubble and having nothing really to do with their time, so just pissing around and having a laugh. Yeah, and having dark, sadistic hijinks. And, like, strange lesbian relationships. Yes. I didn't realise... <laughs> That's, awesome. That's not yeah. two things that go to often. <laughs> <laughs> 52-week film project, pens, these two things together. Um, no, I, I just... I didn't realise that this was actually going to have real historical... Um, under un, undertones yep. um you know more about the differences between the true historical events and what is shown in the film than me but what yeah. i can say is that there are things in this film um that are mentioned that i went and looked up with my dad afterwards on the way home and and genuinely are true like an example of this being you know talking about how there are real serious moments in this film there's a really endearing scene where queen anne is with Emma Stone's character, Abigail, who is kind of, um, she's the she's the, she's, she's the cousin of Lady Marlborough, who is played by Rachel Weiss with Lady Marlborough being the Queen's kind of closest advisor, but also secret, intimate partner in the film. Yes. Um, and there's a scene in the film where Emma Stone's kind of working her way up to being close to the Queen, and the Queen tells her about... The seventeen abortions, seventeen failed attempts at having a child that she's had. Yes. Um, of which, if you look it up, she had twelve miscarriages, all after about four months, and she had five instances where she had a child born and died within a year. That is pretty rough. It's horrible. Pretty rough. Yeah. And it goes a long way to showing um, the real kind of tortured soul that Queen Anne was. She was widowed widowed in 1702. And died in
1: 1714,
0: mm. and was not fit to to reign. No, not at all. And for the last years of her life, had huge gout issues, like Henry VIII did. Yeah, and huge
1: depressions because of her children, and she just was not functioning functioning as a monarch. A lot of the decisions were were made for her, which is what I think the main base of the basis of this film is. There's a couple of differences um, in the film that um, there is pet rabbits to um symbolize our children and it's a consistent theme of it and it's um it's quite it's quite Beautifully done, but in a very really dark way. I think that every every scene that it's there, it's 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 uncomfortable. It's yeah, it's uncomfortable. Exactly, it's uncomfortable. Um, that's not in the um, actual story of Queen Anne, but it's a nice touch. Um, but uh, the lesbian gossip, um, if we can call it that, um, they
0: well, we are a gossip podcast. <laughs> you, 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 might, you might as well gossip rumors.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, that it didn't happen, but it was insinuated. So Sarah Churchill. Um, who is re- distantly related to Winston Churchill um, who Winston Churchill later on wrote memoirs about Queen Anne because of his relation with Sarah Churchill. Um Sa- Sarah Churchill um after she had been sacked um by Queen Anne um started to do these gossip things and create gossips and rumors in the courts that Abigail had um essentially r- essentially had relations with the queen and or or tried to have relations with the queen because she's a, she was a terrible um, I think lesbianic. Inter- it, um, it was. It all came with within the vicinity of accusing Abigail of lesbianism without actually getting there. If that makes sense. Yeah. It was all rumours and gossip and etc. Um, the film itself, I I really liked it. I, I really liked a lot of things about it. It is darker than you expect. It's. Um, definitely funny, but it's got some real heart towards it, which doesn't normally happen with Jorgos Lathnos films.
0: No, not at all. I mean, you don't feel an ounce of compassion for Colin Farrell in The Lobster, even though he is someone deserving of support.
1: Yeah, and, um, and normally he he creates quite detached characters from reality, from themselves. Yeah, this film they're detached in a way, but they're also deeply emotional. Yeah, um, they're.
0: I wrote a great. I wrote a great sentence on my phone in the cinema. Was, <laughs> Go on, uh, tell me. I was sat, sat at the back and uh, had like my phone on night mode. You know, I don't want anyone thinking I'm recording it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, uh, I wrote on my phone. There were a lot of misspellings because it was dark. I wrote the film ruminates on the peculiarities and loneliness of life as a royal. Ooh, very nice. That it does.
1: You can write that in English, I say. Olivia, Olivia <laughs>
0: Coleman is like she is show stealing in this, and that's not to say that Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone don't do a terrific job. And they really provide the comedy element of this film because as it kind of notches up and they start to try and like outdo each other for the queen's favour, um, it gets like it gets deliciously evil. It gets yes. like you kind of you watch the like the competition and you think like oh fucking hell this is really great mm. like this is ridiculous. What, what is the next what is the next thing that's going to happen? And, and the best thing is where, that Queen
1: Anne is loving every minute yeah, of it yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, she's it's
0: completely it- aware of it, but her self esteem is so low that she wants them to like exactly. fight to the death for yes. her. It, it's really it's a really funny dynamic. I mean, there's even a bit where Emma Stone goes and like, smacks herself in the face with a book just to then go and sit crying outside the queen's bed chambers for the queen to hear her and come outside and think she's been beaten up yeah there are just ridiculous things that happen um and it's like some of the some of the dialogue like i didn't write any of it down i'm gutted, and i really want to watch it again because like i said like it's so well thought out but there's a bit where abigail eventually wins the queen's favor and um lady marlborough sarah churchill's kind of like chucked out of her bed chambers And Abigail's, like, moving her stuff in and, like, ordering all the maids around. And Sarah Churchill says something to her about, like, you don't have to do this or you're making a big mistake or whatever. You think this is over. Yeah, and Emma Stone's character says, all I know is your carriage awaits and my maid is on her way with something called a pineapple. (laughs) And I thought it was so funny because it's, like, all of the strange things. Like, what would someone think is an exciting thing in their day at that level of class in rural England? oh someone's brought a pineapple exactly. like, from from the boats like i like there, the da- i like the
1: dark humor of um the, um the 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 there's a sort of side story of a relationship between emma stone and a and a member of court can't remember the name of him and he goes into a bedchamber and she says as she says are you going to seduce me or are you going to rape me and he, and, and, he, and he goes I've, I've fallen for you and she says rape it is then and I, it's so funny um, and then I also of course you've got to love um, you look like a badger it's just it, yeah, oh, I, it's, I'm, yeah. I'm going to say that to people now if they've got a bit too much makeup on you look like a badger
0: yeah, yeah it was pretty critical um, <laughs> it was pretty critical I actually i tell you what this film made me like Rachel Weisz I, I know she's like critically applauded and she's a great actress yada 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 I've just never found her particularly likeable in anything I've watched She's all,
1: I, for me, she's always been outside of her film personality and what she acts in films. Quite cold, ice queen like. Yeah, I, and I, that yeah. works in certain roles, but it, it doesn't make me warm to her as an actress.
0: No, and I thought she just—I didn't get on with her in the Mummy in the Mummy movies. I thought she was a bit weak in those. Um, just, I mean, you know. Where is Brendan Fraser, more importantly? Where like, is Brendan Fraser? He's not that old. He needs to come back into Hollywood. Shall we start posting... He's done a Michael Cera.
1: Shall we start posting, like, lost posters? Like, what do you do for dogs?
0: <laughs> Shall we make it a campaign? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Um, Please find Brendan Fraser. Please ring this number if you have any ideas. Okay, no, but it, sure.
0: it, it, it was great. and I, I think she, she was tremendous in it. I actually... You know what? We were talking about it earlier, who would deserve the Supporting Actress nomination or award over the other Rachel Weisz or Emma Stone. You said... Emma Stone. I think Emma Stone's
1: physical comedy is better than Rachel Weisz's. That's why I chose Emma Stone over it. I think Rachel's <laughs> Rachel Weisz has a an air about her that is yeah. unmistakable. But Emma Stone does these physical action things and this and I think what I liked about her, about Emma Stone's performance is there is a moment later on in the film quite late in the day um after Sarah Churchill has been dismissed. Um, where she's at a party, and it's that wide-eyed craziness that was I just found very despicable. And in that moment, I I'd been kind of rooting for her throughout the yeah. film, and I, I instantly hated her.
0: Yeah, I mean, she, she's 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 a very versatile actress. She's done so much, hasn't she? She's done like the big budget superhero stuff with Spider Man, and she's also done like the big budget Oscar winning stuff like La La Land. Um, I had a weird like I had a weird idea for a film a while back. It's not particularly weird. It's probably been thought of already by someone better than me. But she would be great as the leading. I, I, I finished watching *The Death of Stalin*, which I know is one of your. <gasps> which is one of your, Oh
1: my gosh! We have screw the screw this the favorite. We need to talk about *Death Stalin* now. This
0: is one of your. This is one of your favorite films. Yes, and, and it's for anyone who's not familiar with it. It's a terrific film about um, like Russian politicians, and all of them are played by British or American actors but in, like, their impeccably British or American voices. And these are actors that are, like, known for their voices, like um, uh, Steve Buscemi and people like that. And I had an idea of what if you did an all-female cast film which was like really like, like super stellar cast, but like taking people like Emma Stone, but then also people like, I don't know, Cynthia Erivo, and, and, but then maybe taking some real random ones, like, I don't know, um oh, what's the woman from, uh, <sighs> Black actress, been around for ages, Whoopi Goldberg. Yep. Imagine if you just took some really strange ones and did a bit of a True Detective.
1: Fancy, fantasy, fantasy Football League of yes. actresses and but actors. Like,
0: but like some that you would kind of expect to be able to do this and then others that you would have no idea, like, like when they casted Matthew McConaughey in True Detective. Like, yes. no, those like, almost like make-or-break-it moments. Um, and had them act in like a World War I trench film where they're all playing men but they're all women. Oh, that'll be fun. And I feel like Emma, oh, Stone, that'd be Emma good. Emma Stone, and and it this could either be a satirical comedy and it could maybe have some kind of underlying joke about how if it was like it could be them playing men, or it could be women in that situation and seeing how much maybe how much better they get on with things than the men did. Or you, do you know what I mean? Like something like that. Uh, either in like a Yorgos Lanthimos kind of way or in a real serious way, but with women playing male counterparts, kind of like how we have Shakespeare, men play women, yeah. women play men kind of thing. And I feel like Emma Stone is the actress to lead that. I don't know why that segue came up, but I just think- No, you know, I love it. would be that's, cool.
1: That's a really cool idea. I think yeah, it'd be yeah. good. I can't think I can like, <laughs> imagine,
0: imagine them all, like imagine if them, they all did like an Anne Hathaway in le Miz and they all had shaved heads, like the soldiers, most of the soldiers would have done back then or yeah. something like that. Like imagine seeing 10 very different actresses that are all well-known, but all at different stages in their career, all with completely shaved heads, acting in a World War One film.
1: Yeah, it would be amazing.
0: It would be an absolutely incredible idea. Steven Spielberg, come at me.
1: Yeah, write it. 100% do that.
0: Just do it now. Um, but anyway, getting back to the favourite. Yes, getting back to the favourite. Emma Stone's versatile. Emma Stone is versatile. That's the point I was trying to make.
1: Yeah, I think she's great. I, I understand why you think Rachel Weisz is... Fantastic in this because she is fantastic, but I just think for me Emerson is better. But then I think, I, I, think, think we, for, I
0: think for me I just knew she was going to be really good, whereas I was unexpectedly surprised by how well I liked how much I liked Rachel Vice. And yeah, understandable. Going into the film, I thought I was kind of thinking like, yeah, like she's in it, I'm sure she'll be fine, um, and she turned out to be really good. What do you think of
1: Nicholas Holtz Because I really like him in this film. Yeah, I mean he's funny. Um, I don't I don't find him that impressive. Well, it's, it's that kind of classic thing of Nicholas Holt is that he's an actor that's never really remembered as being anything particularly notable. I yeah. thought in this film he got close to it, but it wasn't anything particularly amazing. I thought he was good. I thought he was solidly good throughout the whole thing, but there was never a moment that Nicholas Holt did that made me laugh out loud, or mm. that made me hate him, or that made me... Um, he was fine throughout I the whole thing. I just think for
0: me, I mean, yeah, God, he did like About a Boy years ago and all that kind of stuff, didn't he? I think for me he peaked when he did the seasons of Skins. Yeah, and he yeah. played Tony, and I thought that was phenomenal. That was probably the best role he's ever had. Um, and then it kind of, for me, blundered a bit with the new X Men films where he plays Beast because I just didn't think it was a particularly good character. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think he's alright. I just don't think he does anything particularly impressive. Yeah. Um, I could have imagined f- like better actors making that role funnier than yes. he did. Yes. And his role is very much a comedic relief role. He doesn't really. Yes, he's based on a true character. In court, he's kind of like the leader of the Whigs against the Conservatives, but he doesn't really have, you know, there's no there's no real seriousness to his role at all. Mm. There doesn't need to be. Yeah. And I think it could have been played better. Yeah. Um, Final thing to say for me is that uh, Mark Gattis turns up as another cameo character. He does. Uh, constantly,
1: that man is turning up in sort of twee English things as a cameo character. And it's just it's getting me a bit annoyed now. I'm like, you 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 do other things than just turning up in in as a cameo in a, sh- a
0: thing. Yeah, focus so on your true.
1: writing, focus on your like because you are a good writer, focus on all of
0: that. No, not for me, not for me. I can't help, well, I'm trying to take you seriously, but outside through the window of the pod, we can see it- Oh gi- no, it's happening! We can see a giant bauble being lifted Christmas is <laughs> onto over. a truck. And this well, this is the end of Christmas, mate. How do you feel?
1: Oh, I don't know. I that, this is this is terrible. It's just loaded. On. It sort of, it's sort of, it feels like the Miley Cyrus wrecking ball video.
0: It does. You know what? Do you want to get out there and jump on it, and I'll film you? Um, I mean, we're, we're still recording a podcast, Jake. I'm not sure yeah. if you're aware. We should do that. We should do that. Um, the only other point I was going to make before we go on to critic quotes, um, actually, two things, really briefly. One, there's a bit near the end with a rabbit um, being like Ooh. Emma Stone yep. crushing a rabbit under her foot, which was horrible. Really well done, but equally, I really didn't want to see it. It really wasn't very nice. Um, It had quite a brave ending, this film, the way it did with her just kind of like... It was like Abigail had won the competition for the Queen's favour, but to what end? Because she was kind of having to get down on her knees and rub the Queen's gout. Yep. as Olivia Coleman kind of looked on in this kind of glazed over, like yes, I still have the power kind of way. But it was also and it, played, it was, also and that was played out by Elton John's Skyline Pigeon, which I thought was really creepy. It
1: was very scary. I also like the way that Olivia Coleman ends the film not happy after all this all this time of trying to get like people to be, to be people to win favor by her. She she ends the film just very, seeming very unhappy and back to square one, which is. It was, it was dark. It was very, very dark. Um, yeah. yeah I love this the film. only
0: other thing I was going to make, which I thought was interesting, I saw an article about it on the way here, is do you know who Sandy Powell is?
1: I have no idea.
0: Sandy Powell is a costume designer. She's actually a three time Oscar winner and 11 time nominee and has worked on films including The Young Victoria, The Other Berlin Girl, and Cinderella, not to mention monarch free movies like Carol and The Wolf of Wall Street. So she did the costumes for this but she also did the costumes for Mary Poppins Returns. Ah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. It must be quite a cool career, that. Yeah. Hard, very hard. There right.
1: was there was a moment in this film that the costumes were amazing and the sets were amazing and the 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 view was great but there was a moment where Emma Stone drinks out of a wine glass and it was the same kind of wine glass that you get in Tesco's for 2 pounds oh, where really? the bottom falls off and I was like that's poor because it look it probably is some like crystal thing but I was just expecting Emma Stone to drink it and then the plastic thing fall to, over like, fall off. yeah and yeah break it underneath
0: oh. um I'll take your word for it <laughs> um all right, going on to Critic Quote Awards, what did you have for best description of the favourite?
1: My best description is from a little-known movie called Mark Kermode.
0: <laughs> I always, oh, my God. It, it, the, as you get older, you also start to look like him as well. I think he might, might be his long-lost son.
1: The infatuation with him continues. I love him. Although, I will say, before I go on to this, I'm just going to bone to pick slightly <laughs> with I Mark Commode. Be- um he ended. He's ended his Commode on Cut series, which is his YouTube series that's attached to the Simon Mayo and Mark Commode um, film sh- film review show. Um, and it was really funny. It was run for many, many years. I had really interesting segments on it. And it ended with, um, quite fairly, with his top... 10 films of the decade and top worst films of the decade. Um, However, he does lists every year for the best film of 2018, and we never got that list of the best and worst films of 2018. And it just means that it feels like I'm never going to get that now. He's not fully completed Mm. it in that sense. I don't know what's the best films of 2018, but he was still running Komodo Uncut at the the same point. So Mark, if you're listening, um, please just give me that before you leave because that would be such a lovely way to just cut off the commode uncut.
0: What's very interesting though, I wasn't a big, if I'm honest, I wasn't a big fan. He did these videos where it was like his um, top 10 films of the past 10 years and top 10 top ten worst films yeah, yeah, yeah. of, of the last 10 that's years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he, did, he did make a point in all of the videos that the, these lists are not def- definitive and his opinions change all the time. But his second worst film of the last 10 years was Pain and Gain which is the Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Mark Wahlberg film by uh, Michael Bay about the guys that are like the juiced, heads. The, ju- the juiced up roid heads that try and like rob a rich banker or something, right? Yeah. I, yes, it's a trashy film. But there's a lot to enjoy in that film. I've watched it twice now, and it is is fucking good fun, and yeah. it is funny.
1: Well, he has a real problem with Michael Bay's moral sta- moral stance on anything when he's doing films. I think I think the thing is is that Mark, what I quite like about Mark Kermode is that he is prejudiced as a film critic, critic, but he does he 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 puts that up, up as his waiver. He always knows that yeah. he's going to hate a Michael Bay film, and he says I try not to, and then I get
0: constantly disappointed. All right, then. So going back anyway, to, what was his best, best description. description of of the favourite
1: despite he says despite the nominally historic setting this has none of the staid distance of a costume drama on the contrary it feels cruelly deliciously contemporary which mm. I think is true if, we, if we're talking about the uh, the shots of this film—it's um, all very new, nuanced camera work. Um It's really—it's a—it's wide pan, whereas a lot of costume dramas are usually very conventional because you've got—you've got to get the scene in, and you've got to get the individual aspects of the costume. This they took risks by doing like a wide, um, a wide fish. What's the fish? Fish angle lens?
0: Oh yeah, a fish eye lens. Fish eye lens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, that is—that is one of my only problems with this film that I didn't bring up was the fact that it. This film is, is is brilliant, and it takes creative risks, and I respect it for that, but there are scenes where it looks like it's filmed on a GoPro,
1: Yeah.
0: and you watched it at home, you watched a DVD version, right?
1: No, I watched it in the cinema in the end. Oh, okay. No, no, well no. then,
0: maybe you... Where did I think of that then? That must have been Boz. Um, <laughs> so, I thought, maybe if you're watching it on a small screen, it wouldn't be an issue. Yes, I can't but, st- I can't stand it. But watching it on a big cinema screen it ended up looking like some of the shots were cheaper than the others. And it kind of took me out of it a little bit. Do you think they were
1: trying to do that thing? Because have you seen those new sort of interactive cinemas where the screen pans around the side? Where they were trying to work for those cinema screenings? Because they've started to build up a couple of them now. Maybe.
0: I mean, I don't know if they've watched. But still, if you watch I, agree. It in like I the, agree. The IMAX curve screen it would look different. But I just, I just think that the quality of some of the shots, which were clearly shot on very different cameras, weren't as good as the rest of the film. I think it was trying to. Be novel like but not like films. A bit, that? I don't like films where you can feel like the filming changes in that kind of noticeable way. Yeah. Um, my best description is from Chris Hewitt of the Minneapolis Star Tribune he said I started jotting down clever dialogue from the fra- the favourite in my notepad but I had to stop when I realised I was essentially transcribing the entire script <laughs> which yeah is so true I could have sat there and written everything it's down it's such a good script
1: um, My Most Savage is by oh here we go fun name Giovanni Marcini come here. From Sight and Sound. Um, he said, no amount of ostentation proves sufficient to spruce up this insipid narrative, <laughs> which strains to it fulfil its two-hour running time as if it were a requirement of seriousness.
0: Jesus Christ. Oh, he's angry. He's horrible. I'll tell you what, Tony Medley can give him a good run for his money. This is from the uh, Tolican Times. He said... So, 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 he said the, he's, the what time, The sorry? Sorry? Times. The he's, Times. It's not toukan Times. We're not, we're not in the rainforest. The Pelican um, Tukan Times. So, so Tony Medley <clears throat> said, this is a loathsome, sloppy film, defaming all three women, but particularly Sarah Churchill, with distasteful falsehoods. Sadly, most who see it will come out believing it.
1: Is that your generic critic voice, or is that specifically... No, that's Tony Midley. That's
0: Tony... Yeah. That, was, that was an audio file. That was him speaking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the budget on this podcast. <laughs> we, we do so research, low. man. Um, um, Favourite moment?
1: Um, the dance (laughs) sequence the favourite favourite, the favourite moment uh, um, the dance sequence um, for two reasons one because it was I was laughing the whole time because it was just so silly and so wacky and so stupid but B because of Olivia Coleman's performance of the camera slowly panning up to her and her going from delight to I'm feeling quite jealous I'm not feeling quite loved I want to go now I'm not the centre of attention it was great I liked it a lot
0: yeah that was really good I think um that was cool. I'm trying to think of other bits that I thought were particularly good. I like the bit where Rachel Vice and her have that kind of like pissing contest while they're out shooting the pigeons and Rachel Vice shoots her but explains about how she hasn't loaded the gunpowder into it or whatever. I thought that was quite a good yeah, scene. Yeah, that was a good scene. Uh, quite intimidating. Um, out of 10, what would you give the favourite?
1: Um, I am going to give you the favourite, an 8. An 8? An 8. I really, so really enjoyed it. what stopped it from
0: getting a really high rating for you? What, what stopped it from being a Star is Born or you were never really here?
1: Um... I think that I think it's difficult because what I appreciate about this film is that the director is making is is trying to make it a bit more conventional, a bit more emotion-led, not as wacky, not as weird. Um, I think that because of that, whilst the film is very, very beautiful and sad and has real emotion, because of that, it does miss. Some of the crazy auteurship of what he used to do. Yeah. And I feel like it's, I don't feel as attached to this film as maybe I do. I feel as attached to the lobster. It's not going to yeah, stick okay. in my head as long. I, I love it and I will rewatch it, but it's not a film that, like you were never really here, will stick with me for a long time.
0: Okay. I, I agree. I agree. I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it an 8.5. Yeah. I think it's slightly better than that um, because I am itching to go and see it again. Currently, like having just spoken about it again, I really want to go and watch it again. It's also not an overly long film; it went by very quickly, which I think is, personally, I think is a mark of a good film. We spoke about Aquaman the other week and how it's like it's got an impressively bloated runtime, and they could have shed forty minutes from that film, and it would have been so much better for it. Yeah. So going into twenty nineteen, New Year's film resolutions: I want films that are not afraid to be like an hour and a half to two hour runtime. yeah 100% um,
1: mm. well there we go we've done it
0: that's it second session in the pod yep. complete we'll be back here at some point actually so if you, like, listeners will probably be like oh thank god they're going to have good sound quality again at, at some point at least we'll soon. have it for
1: one more episode <laughs> um, yeah
0: we're going to be back here probably in February or March time yeah but something we'll, um, like that yeah watch this space up next week um, we are going to be doing Stan and Ollie I think yes it oh. will be out it's out on the 11th of Jan so we will cover, cover Stan and Ollie yep uh, which is the Laurel and Hardy film which has got Steve Coogan and John C. Riley in it. John C. Riley, of which may win an award overnight. Exactly. And and we can keep
1: you... Now, when we've seen it, we'll say if he deserved to win an award or not.
0: True. Mm. Um, Thank you very much for listening. As always, special thanks to White City Place, the pod, for letting us come and use their awesome Cube once again. Um, Keep in touch with us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and we will see you all next week.
1: Bye.